90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Oh, I'm alive. How about you? <laughs> you know, about the same. It's been a little bit of a, <laughs> of a rough week. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah. here I sit as we record, uh, trying to keep the, the flies that have seemingly oh. come out of nowhere oh. out, of, out of my tasty little beer here. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I hear you. Uh, my daughter ran around trying to kill them all today. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking a Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA, but I'm guessing that's not what you're drinking. No, I'm drinking the Arcos American Cream Ale. Oh, I've heard of that one. Is that from that Pangea Brewery? That's from that Pangea Brewing Company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. How, how'd it turn out? You know, it's not bad. I was not super wild about it when we first kegged it. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, after it aged a little bit in the keg, it's getting better. Coming along. And now it's got a real nice, it's, it's kind of fruity in the aroma, and then it's got a real nutty finish. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Lovely. Just lovely. It, it, it's tasty. Uh, it, having, having your own uh, keezer is dangerous. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I wish you lived closer and you could open up the beer garden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, uh. This last weekend, just put in some fall beers, so, so we've got a we've got a pumpkin coffee stout that's so coming excited. along. I'm so excited for that. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, I am too, and we're gonna let try to let that age for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I w- I would say I mean it has to get yeah, has to be at least long sleeve shirt weather to drink that. Exactly, and you know we'll just we'll we'll put it in the keg and pressurize it and let her sit. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. I'll be in the beer garden when that happens. COVID or not. Perfect. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. it's uh, It's been a week. Um, this humidity is just... I hate sounding like, you know, two old folks sitting on the front porch talking about this, but this humidity is crazy, John. It's just crazy. It really is. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't get this here. Like, it's... Okay. I know... When I come back from field camp... In July, like I always joke that I'm swimming in the air here in Oklahoma compared to, you know, my literally 6% humidity. But it is 75% humidity outside right now. Sorry, 74. That's insanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. It's Yeah, the air is very juicy. It's so juicy. And like storms are just spontaneously erupting because there's so much moisture in the air which is also something we don't generally get so yeah yeah normally by this time we're really ridged in and nothing's happening death ridge and like the the wind is coming and it's just like a blast furnace here that's almost always what july is like i can't say that it's um i can't say i hate it like the humidity is crazy but I haven't seen a hundred yet, which was not the case last year. Yeah, um, we've had a couple of hundreds, but you know, we're down around ninety, and it is—it's almost, almost lovely, I guess. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> almost. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time outside this past week, and yeah, it's definitely a—you got to take a shower before bedtime, sort of, <laughs> sort of heat. But, <laughs> yes, um, it is. Uh, yeah, we. Um, well, I guess that's what we've done interesting this week. Uh, I for 
smarter or dumber of me. I don't know. We bought a slack line and put it up in between two trees in our backyard. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so obviously, well, you know my husband. So it's really funny. My friend was like, I was thinking about getting a slack line. I'm like, man, I've always wanted to do that. And so slack lining is where, you know, that you put a, (laughs) basically just a ratchet strap, a two-inch ratchet strap between two trees, and you just walk on it. It's like a little tightrope. And uh, you can hang one above you, too, as like a little safety thing so you can actually walk on it because it's super hard to do. And I said, well, let me go ask John, not you, my husband John. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, do you have a two-inch ratchet strap? And, of course, he did. He had like 15 of them, right? (laughs) I'll say he says, uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, like (laughs) uh, what color? And, uh, yeah, so uh, he hooked us up. This didn't stop me from ordering my own that says American Ninja Warrior on it. But, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, so um, I've been slacklining a lot. I've gotten up to seven steps with no hands. Wow. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, eight more than I ever got. Exactly. <laughs> even my- <laughs> I never even got on the on the rope and stayed. <laughs> it was. It's super fun. Yeah. So you know, by next week I'll be doing the tricks and everything. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I basically have to kick my kids off of it. We all fight over it. But it was. Um, yeah. That's what I did all week. <laughs> All right. <laughs> July is my time to like take time away from email. Not that anyone that knows me would say, haha, isn't that all the time, Shannon? <laughs> I was say I, I have emailed you several times and got your autoresponder and immediately just been like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be away from emails till the 24th of what year? <laughs> Look, the irony was not lost on me when I wrote that. <laughs> uh, you know my phone number. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a riot. That's what we've been doing. Well, we actually have gone outside a couple nights and uh, tried to find Comet Neowise. <sighs> you know, I it's like you said, let's talk about this comet. And I want to, but I don't because... I live southeast of Oklahoma City. (laughs) Yeah, so you can just get to see the glow of Oklahoma City. (laughs) Like, I see nothing, and I'm super angry about it. And when you said let's talk about it, it's like, this thing is one of those things, like, I wish this was happening during the school year, because I love to wax uneloquently about this, about how, like, this comment was discovered this year, in March. We didn't know this was coming. This is crazy. Nope. We didn't know it was coming. You can see it with a naked eye. Like, that's, uh, I mean, granted, it was found right by one of our near-Earth observatory missions, hence its name, but this is cool. Stuff happens yeah. in science. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, you're looking through this data, and you're like, oh, hi there. <laughs> Here's a comet. You're, it's two AU away. Yeah, you're big and close. <laughs> and you know, the first time that you put in, like you observe it for you know a few nights or weeks to to get a little bit of a path, and 
put it in to model its orbital trajectory. And you know as soon as you hit shift enter to run that cell <laughs> in MATLAB or Python that there's a little bit of pucker going on <laughs> until you knew what the trajectory looks like. Oh, man, exactly. Um, this is so cool. Like, I love this stuff. I just love it. Like, how can you not, right? And appropriately today because we're not recording early. <laughs> it's at its highest point that it's going to be, right? And then we're going to not be able to see it here in a little bit. Well, weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not ever going to be able to see it until I drive away from Oklahoma City. So. Right. <laughs> um, have you seen it? I have. Yeah. Binoculars, telescope, naked eye? Naked eye. Great. That's awesome. Uh, it did help significantly, we found, to use your peripheral vision. Yeah, because it's just kind of a little fuzzy. And it's still, it's just right after sunset, right? So there's still a lot of light going on. Well, um, I mean, we had our best luck around 1030 Central Time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, good to know. But we're actually going to go out the day that this airs, or the night that this airs. And uh, I'm going to take my 300 millimeter lens on my Nikon mm. out to my parents' farm. Ah, uh, gotcha. And see if I can get some good photos. Yeah, that's great. Well, I will be awaiting those since I've been am- unable to um, see this guy. Um, that's It's so, also been really cloudy, too, which has not helped at all. It has. It's all that moisture you're talking yes, about. Yes, exa- exactly. Because every time I remember, I'm like, oh, I need to go outside. And it's like, ah, uh, never mind. <laughs> well, so, you know, talking about the moisture... Shannon, what's a comet? <laughs> um, a ball of incandescent. Oh, wait, no, that's a different song. That's the sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know that they redid that song to say that the sun is a miasma of incandescent plasma? And I love it. I did not. Yeah, it's real good. <laughs> yeah, so what I thought was when we landed this the European Space Agency, landed on a comet. I feel like it's far rockier than we thought, but it's basically a dirty snowball, right? Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. loosely agglomerated snow, ice, rock, dust. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know it's loosely agglomerated because the average density of comets that we've been able to measure, which is mostly using orbital perturbations... Mm-hmm. Uh, and measuring their size with different optical techniques is about 0.6 grams per cubic centimeter. Whoa, is it really? Yeah, so it's about half the density of water. <laughs> that is super surprising. Um, so ice is what, 0.96 point, or 0.98? Mm-hmm, yeah. That's, uh, that's really surprising. It was in... Um, when did we land on that comet? It was 2014, right? Because I think it was when I was first teaching my first class as a PhD. Is it that long ago. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember, like, we watched... Well, it happened the day that I taught intro geology because everyone talked about it. I, or I think I was listening to it right before class or something like that. Um, and I was so surprised by how rocky it was. Like, it looked like an asteroid. Whereas it did, we always say, you know, this is really low density and there's ice everywhere. And it's like, it looked like a big rock. Um, yeah. But it's probably more like a bunch of little bitty rocks that are weakly bound together by gravity. So it looks like a big rock. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's probably true. Gravity and ice, I guess. Because um, the big deal about comets, and I always ask this, if anyone's in my class in the fall, <laughs> this is on every first test, every quiz, the first couple of weeks. Um, I mean, comets are so important because where did we get water? Well, we got water from outgassing of volcanoes, but also a lot of our first water came during, you know, the early bombardment when these comets weren't zooming by us at 2 AU, but were pummeling us <laughs> because they, right. they were everywhere. And so a lot of their ice became the world's first oceans. Right. And if you have read or listened to the book Seven Eves, you know about the importance oh. of comets and providing water in that book as well. It's a very technically accurate description, I think. Um, did you know that's becoming a movie, supposedly? I did not. And I am more excited than life itself. That book was life-changing. Yeah, I think it's about time to reread it, actually. Oh, it, uh. oh it's, that book <laughs> is life-changing. It's so good. I think you even were the one that told me to read it. I think so. Yeah. Which I, is, I'd never read fiction. So I know. Then I was like, man, if you like this. And it's like, I got like 15 people to read it. I'm like, this is the best book ever. Um, yeah, it's a really good description. You should read that. <laughs> and so comets, you know, there are two real classes of comets, short period comets and long period comets. Neowise is a long period oh, comet. Oh, 6,800 years? Is that the next viewing time? <laughs> Yeah, plus or minus a couple hundred, yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, like, we can't even, that's so far back, you know, we probably, there's probably no um, record of it coming around the first time. Oh, no, definitely not. Mm-hmm. So that's So sad. these long period comets, they, they mostly come from the Oort cloud. Which is like the trash can term, right? Everything beyond. <laughs> It's a bunch of, I, I think the the glossary definition of it says something about like a belt of icy planetesimals in the outer solar system or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bunch of chunks of junk left over from the formation of our solar system that are way out in deep space where it's very cold and occasionally uh, due to external influencers or just orbital mechanics, they get perturbed and start making these really long multi-thousand-year trips into the solar system around the sun and back out. And they're really characterized by these highly elliptic orbits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just slingshot around here. And you think about it, I mean, so this comet, it, it actually sort of came in, if you think about the plane where all the planets orbit the sun, let's call that the ecliptic plane. Mm-hmm. This came in under the ecliptic plane, slingshot around the sun, and it's going out over the ecliptic over. plane. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, JPL has a really good 3D visualization tool. Oh, yeah. Uh, that can show you this. But if you think about it, so this thing fell towards the sun, the largest gravity well, mm-hmm. for 3,000 years. Huh. So it picked up some speed. <laughs> uh, then it went around the sun, which means it at one point, basically was stopped. And then just, <laughs> wow, yeah, uh-huh, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was always accelerating, but, right. you know, th- there was a change in direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking at a speed right now as we record this of roughly 40 miles per second. 
and the ESA landed something on a comet. <laughs> I just exactly. I, can't, <laughs> I just can't get over like how impressive that was, right? <laughs> and you know, so that's 144,000 miles an hour, 231 kilometers an hour, whatever your preferred units are. <laughs> uh, but it's incredibly fast, and it's actually very small. This is only a three mile in diameter nucleus, or you know, the, the size of a very small downtown. Hmm. It's got a, so when you, did it just look like Orion's Nebula fuzzy when you looked at it with your naked eye, basically? I mean, you could tell there was a tail you in could, the direction. Okay, that, that was my question, is if you could yeah. see that at all. Because it's got a pretty spectacular tail. It does. Mm-hmm. But. And, and, we'll, and we'll get to the, the tails, okay, plural. we'll get to the, yes, yes, that is true. Literally, like tales from Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) (laughs) So, when you know, those are long period comets, short period comets that we see every up to every couple hundred years Mm -hmm. are are Kuiper Belt objects, right? And so um, that's the you know we've is Voyager is Voyager in the Kuiper Belt now? I think just barely. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to um, look up these. So the Kuiper Belt is like uh, like 40 AUs out to 1,000, and then everything beyond that is Oort Cloud. Right. Mm-hmm. So like 30 to 100 AU or something, somewhere there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those guys, like, we've seen. I mean, yeah. So the or- it's really weird when you read the definition of the Oort cloud is that's this theoretical place of cometary nuclei origins. Right. Because we haven't, you know, seen it. But Well, and, you know, modeled it needs to exist gravitationally, but... Yeah. 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 So Carp- one thing I found really interesting when I was researching this, and I didn't know this at all, was... There is a whole field of lost comet research. So, like, ones that should be short-term and aren't? Sorry, not short-term. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, more like ones that say they were observed, like, maybe oh. in 1900. Mm-hmm. And we didn't observe them with enough detail to n- know their orbit. Okay. So we have no idea where they are now, when they're coming back, if they're coming back. What trajectory they're coming back at. <laughs> right. Um, hmm. And there is a whole field of research where folks go back and try to reconstruct. So, okay, you know, we saw it uh, here and here and here. Here's what might be happening. But that still leaves too many unknowns. So more often than not, what happens is you discover a comet and then you go back and say, now that I know the orbit, does it explain oh. any series of comet sightings in history that we haven't yet explained? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, oh, what, was, what was that last one that came through here? Um, Hale-Bob? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was in 97. I remember seeing that. Yeah. I, yes, I do too. That one was very bright. Um, I remember people talking about that exact thing then about yeah and yeah 18 comets so far that we found are 
actually lost comets that have been seen before, but we didn't know where, what happened to them. Oh, that's super cool. How neat is that? And this is, this is indigenous knowledge of these. You have to go back and look at these, um, you know, ancient writings, or a lot of them are in pictures, because obviously comets were portents of bad juju. Right. <laughs> Usually. That's really cool. I did think it was funny that I've seen a lot of people that have signs out about, like, Giant Comet 2020. Yes. <laughs> and then this happened. Uh, <laughs> I'll vote for it. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> it, this, as far, I believe as far as we know, this was not a lost comet. Um, at least that they've determined yet. Well, yeah, that's what I, I mean, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like 6,800 years ago. That's, I don't know what kind of, you know record keeping you're gonna get from that yeah so hmm. interesting i mean there's lots of stuff about like the dust of comets and what it does but it's probably pretty negligible i mean if anyone's thinking this like what does it do for climate or whatever but it's probably pretty negligible compared to all the dust that we get rained down on and micrometeorites all the time anyway i was like, if anything it contributes to micrometeorite showers right yeah but... exactly um I'm, I will say that I always like the Neowise is, um, it seems like we should elect it, number one. <laughs> it's, got, <laughs> it's got the word wise in it, and it's got a, you know, a matrix reference. Um, but it's named for the, it was seen by the Near-Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer Mission. And so that's why it's called that. And at, it, It's a little easier to say. It is, but that's sad <laughs> to me, because I always like the cool hail bop and you know names of people that see them that's always exciting right right mm -hmm. uh and you know we will probably actually get to see uh several other comments in our lifetime like you know generally every few decades we get a comment uh-huh yeah i got to see hallie's comment twice and i thought that was pretty cool nice mm -hmm. yeah so that was um that was fun to get to to get to do or i will get to see it i mean <laughs> Yeah, I'm it's not, a, um, <laughs> 2061 uh -huh, is its yeah, revisit. Yeah, hopefully I will knock on right. some wood right here. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's really cool. These are really neat. I remember being very underwhelmed when I was six years old and got to see, because I imagined a comet, like I drew it, and we walk outside, and it's this fuzzy blob, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so. I will say, I was... I was fully prepared to drop some cash on a computer-guided six-inch telescope. Uh-huh. Oh, I was searching those earlier today. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, I've always, I've always liked astronomy. Like, I've done mm -hmm. astrophotography in the past, and I used to have a telescope. Um, I thought, well, you know, we're relatively dark where we are. Mm -hmm. A six-inch computer-guided would be fine. You, know, you could see rings of Saturn and all that fun stuff. And it might be a fun public outreach thing to do with our business. Yeah. Um, man, you can't find a telescope in stock to save your life. <laughs> Dude, I couldn't even find a kiddie pool. I love it so much. Like, I want to get mad about that, but I can't. I can't. It's right. great, right? This is great that people are doing this and, like, have time to do it now. And, dear Lord, can we please, like... Keep it up with this. This is the best thing that's happened to Earth, is this 
COVID thing <laughs> in terms of, you know, like people... Send your hate mails. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> in terms of people paying attention. I mean, it's very bad for people, but it's very good for right. people stopping to, like, notice this stuff. Because this comment's been in social media way more, I feel like, than if this were normal times. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... and- it's also like a, a relatively positive story. Like there's not a downside to the comet being around. Right. Yeah. Because it's not going to hit us. It's actually two AU away. So <laughs> maybe that next one <laughs> we're going to well, find. It's, it's, it's going to get pretty close. So it's yes. actually going to pass uh, 64 million miles away. Yeah. That's. Um, yeah. I mean, for reference, the moon's a quarter of a million miles. So I'm always surprised still by that out. number being so close. Yeah, 250,000 miles doesn't seem like much. I it mean, doesn't at all. Like, I've driven cars that far by, you know, completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to, like, Saturn is 840 million miles away or something around there. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a ways. It's com- <laughs> yeah, the comet's pretty close. So, hmm. So, we I said that we'd talk about the tails. Yes. Comets in deep space don't have tails. Because there's nothing to make the tail. Right. It's got to be close to a star to warm it up and start off-gassing material. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are some comets that have jets that have, like, oh, marginal geologic activity. <laughs> yeah. So, like, some of the moons of, like, Saturn and stuff that have those things spewing out of either end of them. Yeah. Some of them have those. Right. But it's different. But... But in general, they're big balls of ice and junk Mm -hmm. that are just silently cruising through space. Mm -hmm. And they get close to a star, in this case the sun, that material warms up and some of it starts melting away. There are some comets that go so close to the sun, either they melt away totally. So sad. (laughs) Or, and this is my favorite mechanism, the tide the gravitational difference across their diameter from being so close to <sighs> such a big star just crushes them. That's rough. And fragments them. Tidal forces blow my mind. And we have images of comets breaking up due to tidal forces. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's my favorite like solar system process. We need the insides of planets and moons molten by tidal forces. That's insane. Crush comets. Right. It's crazy. And, and, you know, comets also, it's not unknown for them to hit planets. We've got, uh, we knew there was going to be an impact on Jupiter, and it actually caused, like, these big brown spots, you know, wounds on the planet. I remember watching it, uh, Shoemaker Levy 9, because my master's um, thesis was looking at these impact craters that were all in a row in Missouri and it was a big deal because it was like oh well maybe these were all shoemaker levy 9 style a comet that broke up on impact which it wasn't but <laughs> cuz they were all different but ages. it was potential but it yeah. was a potential yeah cuz they were all stretched perfectly along the 38th parallel it was really interesting so right mm-hmm. so when the comet is going around the sun we get a couple of tails so we get gases that sublimate. So it doesn't melt, really. It goes mm-hmm. right from a solid to a gas. Yep. Uh, and 
that produces a lot of particulate dust and that kind and that dust tail is what you see as the beautiful visible arching tail mm-hmm. they also have an ion tail yeah it's super cool looking and this is gas that is getting impacted by solar radiation so hard it's being ionized <laughs> So we're losing electrons, and then it gets blown back off the comet by the solar wind. Space is scary. Um, <laughs> and so you see this in this cool blue tail that's coming off out of it. Um, the Hold on. Let me I'm gonna get this date right. Yeah. Um, the July 22nd A-pod has a really great picture of its ion tail, of Neowise's ion tail. And Neowise is really special because we think it has a third tail. What's that for? <laughs> a sodium tail. Ooh. Mmm. Salty. Yeah. So they think that they have been able to, through spectroscopic analysis, uh, see that there's atomic sodium tails following this thing as well. That's really cool. Actually. Which would tell us a lot about what this thing is made of mm-hmm. if there's enough sodium to produce a tail. Right. Oh, uh-huh. that's super cool. Yeah. Hmm. And salty. <laughs> hmm. So this is a pretty interesting little visitor that we've got swinging through the neighborhood. Uh, right now, at least from my location, mid-latitudes, northern hemisphere, uh, like you said, just after sunset up to you know, 1030s when I had good luck. I went out, looked pretty much dead northwest, looked up 30 degrees, and that's roughly where it was. There are a ton of apps, uh, Sky Guide and a bunch of others, that will show you with your smartphone exactly where to look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or you can just look up its position and know that if you hold your arm out and set the bottom of your fist on the horizon, your fist is about 10 degrees. Yep. So three times. And yep. look a little bit to the side, like you can do with the nebula in Orion on really clear nights and you're like what's that fuzzy thing <laughs> i mean you can exactly you can see this pretty good with binoculars um i'm i'm gathering so. right so i've been told and uh, we'll definitely try binoculars uh, tomorrow night as well mm-hmm. awesome yeah this is pretty cool um it's like i said it's always really neat to me in one of these things it's like there's a comet coming by we didn't know about it until three months ago right it's awesome <laughs> And, you know, comets, they might not, because they are subject to all these gravitational perturbations from different bodies, and bodies are in different places every time they come through, like, mm-hmm. there's no guarantee of revisits. Yeah. Um, uh, Temple Swift Linear, it was discovered in 1869, and after 1908, it actually became no longer a visitor because it got its orbit perturbed so much by Jupiter. Oh, Wow. Man, Jupiter always causes all the problems. Right. I mean, it's, it's massy. <laughs> Is that thick with three Cs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jupiter can do some pretty wild stuff to trajectories. Uh, yeah. Almost made us two solar systems. So, <laughs> you know, th- these comets are really, and, and I know that we're working on ways right now, to start bringing back samples from them in addition to visit them mm-hmm. because they could be very valuable 
resources for us in the future. Oh, it's a huge deal for Earth history, too. Like, what are these things made of? How much, you know, water and other volatiles did they contribute to our first atmosphere? You know, how much oxygen did we get from them? Obviously, maybe we got a bunch of sodium. That's why the ocean's salty. You know, I don't know. There's a lot to be learned from them, absolutely. Definitely. So I would encourage everybody to go out, try to see this thing over the next few days. Or if you're listening to this podcast later, uh, unfortunately you missed it, go back and look at all the wonderful pictures. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, well, I think with that, it's probably time to move on to rumblings of a different sort (laughs) in this week's... Fun Paper Friday. Okay, so I don't care about what this actual paper had to say. I just have so many questions for you. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, So this is nothing new, really, and this paper is from 2017. Um, And I couldn't believe that you picked this paper when you sent it to me. (laughs) It's geophysical research letters, first of all. That that made me double-take. Hey, I have a publication in GRL. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, some people think paleo mags a science, John. Um, <laughs> so, first observation of the Earth's permanent free oscillations on ocean bottom seismometers. And this is from Dean et al. And while there's no um, lasers or high-speed photography, there are ocean bottom, bottom seismometers, so I know you like that. And this is just me messing around and found this thing about the Earth hums. Here's how we see it. <laughs> right. So, I mean, the normal modes of oscillation of the Earth, the, the free modes, are not anything new. Uh-huh. Yeah. We've, we've known about these for a long time. Uh-huh. Uh, well, okay. Long time asterisk. Uh, <laughs> since the late 90s. <laughs> We've observed them. We've known that they're probably there for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I mean, so what is this? What what is the permanent free oscillation caused by? Is this tidal? What is it? So I'm not totally sure what the excitation mechanism here is. Well, that's my that's my question. (laughs) Uh, But you know, like the sun when we when we talked about doing Mm -hmm. solar heliogeophysics. Yes. Uh, had all these normal oscillations. These are really long periods, slow oscillations of the whole globe. Uh, a lot of them can be excited to where they're seen on basically any instrument by large earthquakes. Mm-hmm. But in this paper, they're specifically interested in the seeing these modes after long periods of earthquake quiescence. Right, which, like I said, I don't actually care about most of this. <laughs> I just want so, you to tell me about the earth free oscillations like it makes more sense to be in the sun there's a lot of stuff going on there <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff going on here and uh, you know part of it is that there have been some pretty interesting papers on that it's a resonance between the solid earth and the atmosphere that was one of the parts that i flagged and thought that is very interesting right and it does work mathematically it just doesn't account for the whole thing Okay. All right. Uh, so we can make a resonance work there. But I also want to point out, like, okay, you say, yeah, the solid earth, like, ground to air is a huge property contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, welcome to the core mantle boundary. It's more <laughs> severe. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, the boundary between the Earth's core and the mantle is a larger property contrast than solid Earth to air. Okay, so that could cause so, some humming. <laughs> yeah, th these grave density contrasts are not uncommon, I'll say it that way, in these highly differentiated bodies like the Earth. I feel like we don't, there's so many things you don't have time to go over, but I feel like that's a thing that really just gets mashed around and the intricacies of that aren't, you know, I don't know, adequately elucidated in intro science. How can you not be super interested in this? Like, that's impressive. Well, and how do you, if you're an intro science student, saying something like the density contrast at the core mantle boundary is many times larger than the density <laughs> contrast between the surface of the earth and the atmosphere. That means nothing. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. And I feel You have to say, you know, imagine walking from free air into a concrete wall, except the concrete is four times harder. <laughs> what? Right. I'm going to use that line. Um, yeah, that's true. And then I think, like, you get to a certain point, you're like, I've been a professional geologist for 15 years. I can't be like, wow, I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I do every week, <laughs> which is the only reason I picked this paper. Because <laughs> this is crazy. I did not know this at all. Hmm. So I, I thought it was a little weird to, well, I guess the goal was to see how low noise of environment you can see it in. So yeah. after these large earthquakes have died away and we haven't really excited the normal modes and they're very weak, can we see them on OBSs? Well, so the first time that we ever saw these was on a superconducting gravimeter in Antarctica. Okay, that was my question, too, was how did we first see this stuff? Yeah, so gravimetry. Okay. Um, gravimeters actually make really good seismometers if you sample them fast enough. If you sample them fast enough. Okay, yeah. That, right. Hmm. You know, Normally, we're looking at gravity periods that are varying on tidal timescales. Right. Uh, even surface waves are 20 seconds. Okay. So you have to sample fast. But in the Apollo mission, that's also a lot of what they found when they left instruments on the moon was uh, the gravimeters made great seismometers and the seismometers made pretty good paperweights. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. So uh, later on, as instruments got better, uh, we started getting, I believe it was uh, a Streckheisen was the first land-based seismometer to be able to see these. Okay. Is, uh like a Model 1 or something. It, that was shortly after that. Um, but now we can pretty much see on all land-based stations this if they're a quiet station and you know what to filter for. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, these are, I mean, the data from, even though this is 2017 paper, I mean, the data from from these ocean bottom seismometers is from 2012, right? So... Right. It's, I imagine those instruments are not obsolete, but almost. Uh, I don't think they've changed as much as we would like to think. Oh, really? Oh, okay. um, interesting. OBSs are very, very, very expensive. Okay. Uh, and they operate in a such a harsh environment yeah. that once you get something that works, you ah. generally don't touch it. Okay, gotcha. 
so OBS is, I don't know what the average recovery rate is. Uh, that oh. would be a question for Natalie Accardo. Mm, that would be interesting. Yes. Uh, but they're noisy. Uh, right. <laughs> it's just. I mean, there's things walking around down there all over them, right? Well, yeah, and you can't. Well, you can without incredible amount of funding. You can't go drill a borehole and bury them in boreholes everywhere. Right. Yeah. You just literally drop these off of a boat, and they just fall down. Right. And they're weighted to fall down in the correct orientation. Right. And then in a lot of them, the seismometer itself is in a little ball that's hung out on an arm. Mm-hmm. And the salt water reacts with the metal that's holding the ball up. And so a few hours after they land on the bottom, that metal link dissolves and the ball goes boom, down in the sediment. <gasps> wow. I didn't know that. That's cool. And it separates the actual instrument from the rest of the body of the OBS to okay. help decouple the noise. Ah, that's really interesting. Are those recoverable? Yes. So, that, I mean, there is a, uh, a line that when the OBS is triggered to rise, it pulls that up with it. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so we're doing a lot already, but you've got currents. You've got seafloor tilts mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. current patterns change. You've got, yeah, you've got stuff walking around and living on the seismometer. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this uh, compliance was a word that I hadn't um, run across in terms of noise. Yeah, you're you're in a really springy conductive media. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but these had something worse, right? Which was they heard themselves talking to themselves. Yeah, they had this really periodic electrical. They call it a glitch signal. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, that's putting a positive spin on it by <laughs> calling sick signal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these had a repetitive periodic electrical glitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did some pretty nice little techniques to filter that out. And after they filter that out, start looking in the 2 to 30 millihertz band. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we're only talking about things in megahertz. Yeah. Now you change that exponent to negative. Now you're in millihertz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually they're able to do enough filtering that they can see it. Oh, it's, it's always so magical and scary to me <laughs> because filter- it's definitely a case of if you don't know what you're looking for yeah. already you're not going to find it right yeah exactly um and i'm assuming in 2017 like we didn't see it on all these surface seismometers like we do today right is that why this is a big deal or no uh this is a big deal because it's the the process the first time obs's were able to do it okay gotcha um i don't think geologists or anyone that is not a geophysicist adequately appreciates the filtering and processing of, of data from seismometers you can take a $30,000 seismometer and if you don't know what you're looking for in the raw signal a magnitude 6 earthquake somewhere else in the world is going to look like garbage. Ugh. Yeah. See, that's crazy to me. Like, there's an incredible amount of, ugh, I don't know, Fourier transforming that happens. <laughs> well, and we know what we're looking for because of modeling. Right, right. And we're not getting what we're looking for because of that, but we, you have to know what frequency band you're looking in. And, uh, right. 
you have to be careful with filtering because a lot of people aren't that don't fully understand filters and start interpreting artifacts. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the one that scares me the most. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because when you filter and make something else pop out and then, yeah. Signal and noise right. are very interesting. Yeah. Well, and you can... There's that book about how to lie with statistics, right? Right, yeah. Uh, there could be one called How to Lie with Filtering. Ah, 100%. <laughs> uh, you can filter and get a lot of things if you are not mm-hmm. totally truthful with yourself about what you're doing. Exactly. Um, and I remember in gravity and magnetics work seeing... Uh, there was some data that looked pretty non-conclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. But they were really looking for northeast striking anticlines. Okay. Yeah. So they applied a directional filter that only kept things different than the mean in a northeast strike. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, lo and behold, these these beautiful lineations popped out. Um, they were just filter artifacts. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you can do some bad things, but in this case, it was just trying to filter out all of the noise that's out of band or some of it that's even in band mm-hmm. to get down to what you're really looking for. Yeah. That's uh, and like I said, that was not the purpose of um, me picking this. And as you said, GRL isn't exactly fun paper material. <laughs> I just thought it was cool that the earth has this resonance and I want to know where it comes from. Well, uh, the project also was called Rum Rum. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Rum Rum? <laughs> rum Rum. Um, like a... Like a, like a uh, purring? Motorbike. Oh, okay. That's I, how I read it. I don't know. Yeah, I imagine it as purring. Rum Rum. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, well, Shannon, if <laughs> folks would like to send us their observations of the normal modes of oscillation of the Earth from their terrestrial or ocean bottom seismometers or their predictions on how to best use a comb to remove electric glitching in data. How can they do that? (laughs) I was hoping you'd say they'd send us their models of the cat at the center of the Earth creating this humming. Um, (laughs) But they could send us those too. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. Um, um, coming to the Slack channel, we're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel, um, and you can always support us on Patreon. So thank you to those that do, if you would like to do so, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. 